0: And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word, <coughs> your infallible inerrant word. Bless it to our understanding as it has been read and as it expounded. And We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Believe that uh, the town of Bethlehem is nine nine time zones ahead of us, um, and usually the um, birthday of Jesus is celebrated with great fanfare on the square in Bethlehem. I remember growing up being able to see it on television uh, to, uh, at that, in the evening, and. Uh, and it's my understanding that this year it's been canceled, and uh, for obvious reasons, if you follow the news at all. <coughs> the, um, I've had, had the privilege of spending uh, several weeks in Bethlehem with Melissa and Terry Rhodes when they worked in the American School in Bethlehem, incredible ministry to expatriates and, and uh, Arab uh, Christian children. and. And uh, it, is, um, it is not a Jewish city, Bethlehem is not a Jewish city, although it is historically one of the most significant of all the cities in the Bible for the people of Israel. As you come into Bethlehem, uh, you come in past Rachel's tomb, it's one of the patriarch's wives' tomb, it's a, it's a famous site. And... Um, by these incredible walls that are necessarily built to keep the peace. And obviously the recent events of October 7th remind us of the incredible hatred that remains in that place. We live in a fallen world. Our Lord Jesus Christ Entered into a world full of hatred and vitriol and political strife. Our text underlines this in the very first verse. It says, matter of factly, that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. And our ESV version that I read very neatly um, uh, literally translates that as that all the world should be registered. And I I like the King James Version because it's more matter-of-fact. It says that all the world should be taxed. Caesar Augustus had succeeded his uncle Julius if you know your Roman history at all, you know that uh, uh, Julius Caesar was a, uh, a very progressive, as, a, as Roman emperors go, emperor who um, did such great things for the, the country and, and um, the very things that he helped create led to his assassination, the famous Ides of March. And after his assassination, there was an incredible power struggle Between uh, one of his lieutenant generals, Mark Anthony, who had gone down to Egypt and married uh, Cleopatra, and they had uh, formed an alliance to uh, take over the Roman Empire and um, were met with force, the force of. Julius's uh, nephew, who he adopted at his death, adopted oh. Caesar Augustus. His name was Octavius, and he was adopted, and he became, named himself Caesar Augustus. Caesar to be worshiped. Caesar the Great, he crushed Mark Anthony's army and Cleopatra's army, and established himself at great expense, is the power of Rome. And the result was the beginning of what we call the Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace. And how did he accomplish that? <laughs> By taxing the world. If you look at the map, Rome is a long way from Bethlehem. And somehow this mighty emperor way over in Rome has the power to order Joseph and Mary to go back to their ancestral home. This emperor who decided that he was God and was to be worshipped, who named himself Augustus, orders all the citizens in his realm, which at that time included Israel, to go back to their ancestral home. You think about how that is orchestrated by the hand of God. Circumstances that seem completely be over and beyond us lead to the historic events. The, this, Luke, The physician, Luke the doctor who wrote this, is so intent on giving us these, these historic details is governor of Syria and and he is the one responsible for for, uh, carrying out this order and so everyone obeyed and they began the process of, of going back to their home in order that their taxes could be collected and from an earthly human standpoint so that Caesar Augustus could have more power and consolidate his power. The truth of the scripture, the truth of the the word of God is that God in his sovereignty is overruling everything, including the power-hungry, power-seeking Roman emperor to carry out his plan. And what is his plan? It's to take Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem so that prophecy can be fulfilled. The prophecy of Mike, the prophecy of the covenant of David in 2 Samuel 7, the prophecy that that, uh, the Messiah would be of the house and lineage of David. Uh, We we talked about the genealogy in Matthew. You find the genealogy in uh, another genealogy in uh, Luke chapter 3, whereas the genealogy of Matthew is traced from from, um, uh, the lineage of Joseph. Joseph is mentioned in Luke, but it's obviously uh, his lineage is traced through Mary, showing that how on both sides of his family tree, both his adopted father Joseph and that side of the family and both his natural mother who was who was uh, with child by the Holy Spirit and gave uh, birth to Jesus through the instrumentality of God and the miraculous virgin birth. How it's traced back, all the way back to Adam in order for this perfect child to be born to take away sin. So why this place? Well, it seems like it's because of the decree of Caesar Augustus, but more than that, it's because of the decree of God in his providence. David was a Bethlehemite. He was born in that region. His father was Jesse, who is called in scripture the Bethlehemite. Before that, he is descended from the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. we read in the book of Ruth, which ends with this genealogy that is taken up here in Luke's Gospel in chapter four. Boaz, we get Obed, Obed, we get Jesse, Jesse, we get David, the royal lineage of the Messiah why Bethlehem? Why this place? It is called in scripture the city of David. The city of David because of David's father Jesse and David being there. The name Bethlehem what literally means in Hebrew the house of bread. Obviously Jesus referencing that when he says in John's gospel chapter 6 I am the bread of life. He is he is. Declared the fulfillment of this prophecy. I'm the bread of life. It is a reminder as we come to the Lord's table and we feed on bread that we feed spiritually upon Christ and and proclaim our union with Him who gave His life for us. Second, one thing I'd point out tonight is the message. The message. God orchestrated this to bring about the birth of Jesus in this way. But he did it for his people, as we saw this morning in the scripture. His message was not to kings and rulers and powerful people. His message was to humble shepherds. No doubt in the same shepherd fields where David, as a young man, learned how to work and protect and care for sheep. Rude, hard, callous men in the fields are the ones that God chose to declare the birth of the Messiah. No doubt many of them ancestrally related to David himself. And they came with a message piercing the night sky in those shepherd fields. And what is their message? Their message is fear not. Do not be afraid. They were, it says they are with great fear. In verse 9 they are filled with great fear. But what does the angel say? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. They had all kinds of things to be afraid of. They, they, could be, they, they were afraid of uh, wild animals. They were afraid of, of uh, Roman uh, domination. They were afraid of uh, the religious tyranny of the Pharisees that had descended upon them. They were fearful of Herod, who had built a, a massive um, monument to himself called the Herodian just just a few miles away where he could just look upon their city any time and, and take it and plunder whatever he wanted. There are so many things that they could be fearful of. Just like we have today, and just like people had throughout the generations. And yet, the message, the message to them is to hear you not. Know, there are all kinds of phobias. Uh, if, you're, if you've studied psychology, you could, probably, you could probably name a bunch of phobias. And then we, some of them, when you, when you go through them, they're, they're quite uh, quite humorous uh, of what people are afraid of. Our Lord Jesus made it clear, there's only one thing you should truly be afraid of. And that's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Verses 4 to 7. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are much more valuable than sparrows. The shepherds, who had no doubt done all kinds of things that deserve judgment, are told by the angels piercing the darkness to not fear, fear not don't be afraid of poverty don't be afraid of of uh, occupying forces don't be afraid of political tyrants don't be afraid rather rejoice that a savior is born and it is Christ the Lord I just ask you to ask yourself what are you afraid of What is is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you? We all have something. Some of you are facing things right now that have you filled with great fear. How many times in my life have I feared something horribly? And then it came came into being in my life and I think, how did this happen? then I come back to the scriptures and again and again and am reminded that the worst thing that can happen to me on earth is nothing in the sight of God. It is simply his way of giving me an opportunity to trust him in the midst of difficulty and pain and sorrow. The message is do not fear. But give glory to God. That's what we're here to do tonight. That's what we're here to do every time we worship God. And that is our prime directive. That was, that's the prime directive of the angels who announced the birth of Jesus. Glory to God in the highest. And how does that ac- accomplish? And on earth, peace. Peace. Goodwill. To men, the Hebrew shepherds, no doubt, heard shalom, the greeting of the of the of the Jewish people today. The hello and goodbye of Jewish people is shalom, peace. It's ironic, and it's uh, the greeting of the Arab people in the Middle East is salam, it's uh, peace. It's ironic that a land where everybody says hi and bye with the word peace, there's so much (laughs) hatred and hostility. Mm -hmm. But this message of peace is not a fake peace. It's not a, a wishful thinking peace. This is true peace. This is reconciliation. These shepherds deserve judgment. They deserve death and they knew it and they were afraid. And God's message to them is do not be afraid. Apart from uh, uh, God's grace, we are at war with God. Before we come and receive the good news of of Jesus who came into the world to save sinners, the truth is we are at enmity with God. We are at war with Him. And it is a war that we are, are certainly going to lose. The only course is to surrender. The result of the angels uh, praising God is that the shepherds begin to praise God. Their response is a response of worship. And, it, and as they went they were and saw the babe that was born. They treasured it in their hearts. And then they went back to their work. They went back to their life. And what did they go back doing? They went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and were told. That is always the goal of worship, to see God as he is, to see ourselves as we are, sinful and needy. And to know that his grace is sufficient for us to bring us to true repentance and true faith and to send us out into the world uh, to glorify and to praise God for all that, he has, all that he has done for us. He has saved us from death and hell. That's the greatest thing that could ever happen to anyone is to understand the gospel. That he's saved you, not because you're good, not because you did good things, not because you came to Christmas Eve service, but simply because you know he loves you and he has set his love upon you. What is the response? What is the response of these humble shepherds? They go out giving glory and thanks to God. Our whole life should be as a result of experiencing the grace of God and the love of God that is so undeserved by us, is a life of gratitude and a life of service. Do you know that love? Do you know? Is that the desire in your heart, Father? If, if that if that hasn't occurred in your life, may it do so even now as we close this message. Let us pray, Father. Thank you for this incredible event that we celebrate tonight, this historic event that took place in time and space and history in Bethlehem long ago. Father, thank you that your word is is true and not one, one letter of it will fall to the ground without accomplishing your purpose. Thank you for the opportunity to hear it tonight, to, to be reminded of what Jesus did when he came to this world. He accomplished the mission of saving his people from their sins. If there's anyone here tonight who's yet to understand that they are sinner in desperate need of forgiveness, may you enable them to understand that even now and, and give them the grace of faith and repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And our hymn of preparation for the Lord's Supper is 324, Thou who is rich beyond all splendors. let standard stand 324.